All right, you guys can start turning to Psalm 40 this morning. I'll say the book of Psalms is quite long, so when you find it, you can go forward or back. So as Steve kind of mentioned, this week we've kind of entered into a new season here in the U.S. Um, I didn't watch it, but I hear we had another president inaugurated. Um, So he took an oath of office. And with the agenda that they have already said that they are planning to push, now more than ever, it's important for us to know where we stand. Sometimes it can feel like we can hardly move with everything going on. Sometimes it just gets deep. It gets tough. And if we don't know what we're standing on, And if we don't have something solid to stand on, then it's hard to do much of anything at all. David wrote the psalm, and he was facing quite the opposition. Things were not going the way he planned at all. I'll say Solomon Solomon had said that there's nothing new under the sun, and... Psalm 40 is so fitting, and that's where God led me this morning. Starting in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon the rock, and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor as much turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. So this whole psalm starts out and says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm not going to... You guys know I like to read out of the Passion Translation in the Message Bible because it breaks it down so plainly. Now, I'm not going to read out of them today, but I will tell you that both of them say, I waited and waited and waited for God. That's three times. I waited and waited and waited for God. How many feel like you've been waiting? Am I right? I know I feel that way a lot of times. And waiting is something that we struggle with. Am I right? I know. I'll say, think about this. Go to Burger King in just two minutes of waiting in the drive-thru you start to get tired of waiting already. You start, you get up to that window and you start thinking they're going to ask you to pull forward even. And just a tip, if you don't want to ever pull forward, just go through the drive-thru with a trailer. I've done that. They don't know how to respond. <laughs> but waiting is not something that we embrace anymore. 
King David, when he was writing the psalm, he knew about waiting. See, he had already went, and although he was anointed to be king, he waited until the time that he actually became king. When this psalm was written, his son Absalom had decided that he was going to take over and become king himself long before it was his time. And David and his men fled, and they were waiting on God again. You know, David was known as a man after God's own heart. He knew that God was able to do something. So he was just waiting. We know God wants to do something today. So we're waiting. We just have to let God be the one to determine that timing. He follows up and says, He inclined to me and heard my cry. Inclined literally means to stoop down. David often uses imagery in his psalms. He shares his heart, but he gives such great imagery while he's telling it. So here you get a picture of God bending over and picking up a child. Bending over and picking up his child, removing that distance between God and David. And God heard David's cry for help. He heard the cry and was faithful to do something. God is faithful to hear us. Keep the psalm in mind and think it over and just pray it over yourself, even. Honestly, I've, I've had this psalm stuck in my head all week because I used to listen to a song quite often that basically he sang Psalm 40. Um, it's by Corey Asbury, if you ever want to listen to it. It's called So Good to Me. Um, but it's a great way to memorize Scripture sometimes is in songs. I mean, there are some songs that you will remember just because it's Scripture being sang. That was a rabbit, but it's okay. Um, so, God leaned over and brought him up out of a horrible pit. David knew what it was like to be on top of the world. David had it all. He lived in the palace. He had all the luxuries that were available to him. But he also knew what it was like to live in a cave. Back in high school, I actually used to go caving, splunking. We would, there weren't many caves in Michigan, so a lot of times we went to southern Illinois or Kentucky or wherever, and we would crawl through caves. Sometimes about the only space you had really was what your upper shoulders could fit through. And a lot of times we would get there and we would turn off the lights. Yeah, it's dark when you get down in there. But a lot of the, a lot of times the caves were slippery and slimy and just not pleasant to be in. 
Usually whoever's in the front of the group, they were the ones knocking all the cobwebs out. I didn't have to do that often, but I did a few times. But there might have been, must have been a lot of things going through David's mind. There must have been a lot of things that David was struggling with. There must have been a lot of things that he, that was absolutely horrible for him. One of the things that Absalom was doing was he was putting shame to David's name. He was going in and violating his concubines and everything, putting shame to David. When you're in a pit, you're oftentimes vulnerable. You can have danger come upon you, and it seems like it has the upper hand. Picked him up out of the miry clay. This is something that I can highly relate to because so much of the ground on our property is clay. And there's a section of our cow's pasture that we have to walk through, usually when we feed, that the cows also usually walk through to get to where we have the water tank at. And when it's wet, depending on the time of year, it gets hard to walk through. I'll say that you walk through it and you have the uh, your chore boots on and it's a... I mean, it sucks that boot right off of you if you're not careful. I'll say I'm pretty sure I carried Gracie out of there the one time and had to go back for her boot. <laughs> but every step you take is hard. Every step you take, it's hard to keep moving. David uses the same imagery in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. On our own, there is no footing. On our own, we can't stand without having something else to stand on. So then God set his feet upon a rock. This is quite the contrast. When you go from miry clay to a hard rock, it gives us something solid to stand on. Before I figured out that I needed to divert the water away from where it was running into the pasture at, I actually would take rocks and throw them into the mud put them right along the one uh, fence line so that I could grab onto the fence and have something solid to step on. But this is something far more solid than that. In Psalm 62, we also see where a rock is a place of strength and safety. It says in verse 7, In God is my salvation and my glory, The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. So, of course, that rock is Jesus. There's nothing more solid than Jesus. Nothing more immovable to stand on than God's Word. 
which we know is Jesus. So Jesus is our entire foundation. An entire house, if you're not familiar with building, your entire house is set on a foundation. It's the lower, lowest most part that holds everything else up. And the entire house can crumble if that foundation isn't uh, solid. You guys can read, for, read it for yourself in Luke 6, but it's got the story of the man who built his house on the rock. And it's compared to the guy who built his house on the sand. And they both built houses. And both houses had that same storm come and hit against the houses, and the waters rise, and the waters beat against them. But only the one that was on that solid foundation was able to withstand. So with Jesus as the foundation, everything else that we build upon Jesus is able to stand. I like the way that the New Living Translation puts 1 Peter 5.10, In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and He will place you on a firm foundation. 2 Timothy 2.9 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We are God's. Our trust is in him, and we stand on the person of Jesus Christ. When everything is flowing around us, standing on Jesus will establish our steps. That brings us to establishing our steps. John Wesley puts established this way. He kept, he keep, that. He kept me from falling into mischief. He kept me from falling into mischief. Keeping closeness to the foundation keeps our steps from wandering off of the path. God wants us standing on that solid ground. So now that we're not focusing on the pit, and we're not focusing on the mire that we're trying to get through, we can focus on what God is doing. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. We can focus on what is coming out of our mouth. We can praise God. It's a new song that he wants us to sing. It's a song that comes out from within each and every one of us. If you think, I'm not a musician, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, no, you've got a song. Even if it's singing in your car when nobody else is around, you've got a song you can sing to God. It's not going to be the same old, same old. It's not going to be something you just sing out of out of repetition or familiarity. It's what flows out of you recognizing what God is doing for you now. What God is doing and is continuing to do 
for you. It may start small, just certain things that you just realize it, but the more you praise God, the more you praise His being, who He is, the more you realize how wide God's love is for us. All the more things to start praising Him for. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor as such turn aside to lies. We need to trust in the Lord. Our recognizing our dependence on God as a foundation to everything we do others will start to take notice of that. It's one of the great things about the transformational power of Jesus. Is that it, it transforms us from trusting in ourself or our own abilities into trusting in Him. Sure, we can say whatever we want, but that authentic change speaks more than we could ever say out of our mouth. They can see what God's delivered us from and see that they can start to trust in God themselves. The Message Bible puts it this way, Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God, turning your backs on the world's sure thing. Ignore what the world worships. So when we have shed off what the world, get, what the world says, it's where we put our trust. Then we show how much we trust God. For years, it's been the, the, that way. So many have put their trust in the government. So many have put the trust in the economy. So many have put their trust in what they're capable of. But when we keep our trust on Jesus, He is all that we need. We don't look to the left or the right. We look to Jesus. We keep our focus on Jesus. It's not Jesus and. Jesus and my 401k. Jesus and whatever my possessions might be. Jesus and the right person in the White House. No, we're blessed when we put our trust in the Lord. God can still do great things through us despite the circumstances that we're in. Do you think the Israelites thought that God was not capable of doing more when they were being oppressed by Rome or the Babylonians or the Armenians or any other empire that it took that had taken them over a quote from Charles Spurgeon talking about how blessed by God he says a man may be as poor as Lazarus as hated as Mordecai as sick as Hezekiah as lonely as Elijah but while his hand of faith can keep its hold on God None of his outward afflictions can prevent his being numbered among the blessed.
But the wealthiest and the most prosperous man who has no faith is accursed, be he who he may. All these men, although they suffered in one way or the other, they were blessed. Though the rejection of the world and the way they thought, they were blessed in the kingdom of God because they put their trust in Him. Back in Psalm 40, in verse 5, he says, Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. David here is reflecting on what God has done in the past. If you know the life of David, it almost reminds you of something. It almost reminds you of when David came out to just deliver some cheese and some bread to his brothers that were out on the battle line. And he saw all these men of war trembling before the Philistines. But David, he recalled what God has delivered him from in the past. He says, hey, God's delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion. How much more will he deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine? I'm paraphrasing that, but you know, I don't say it's something along those lines. He realized what God has done for him in the past. And he knows that God is faithful to do it for him again. Just like that, we can reflect whether it was recently or long ago, if God did it before, He'll do it for us again. Because God's thoughts towards us are only good. Under the blood, God can only think of us as good. Anything wrong that we've done, if we've asked for forgiveness, if we've repented of it, God only sees us as good. Because he sees us through the big picture of his son. Now don't throw anything at me. Even those who scheme evil, God still loves them. He hates the sin, but he still loves them. God loves Joe Biden. God loves Kamala Harris. He may not love what they're doing, but he still loves them. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with the powers and the principalities that are using them. Like Steve said, we're told to pray for those in government offices. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they learn how they're being used in wicked ways. Pray for the forces behind them to be silenced. To start battling each other and have a non-unified front. Pray for a change in the heart of Nancy Pelosi. Pray for forgiveness to come forth. 
Pray for forgiveness to fall on our capital, on our government. His thoughts towards us are so great and so many that we can't count them. He thinks higher of us oftentimes than we actually do. Psalm 40 continues in verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book of it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of the righteous in the assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. This all sounds like God's redemption plan. And this is the Old Testament. It's the Old Covenant. And David's writing this. But God has a plan in it all. I'm sure you've heard it said before, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's not that the Old Testament was rejected and thrown out. It was that it was fulfilled and renewed with the covenant of Jesus. God is not looking for us to do good works. He's looking for us to hear from Him and be obedient to what we hear. This psalm is not the only place that God talks about obedience instead of sacrifice. King Saul was given instructions to completely destroy the Amalekites. And that although he defeated them, he didn't exactly do what he was told. He decided to keep the animals alive, even though God said to destroy everything. He decided, hey, we can use those for sacrifices. And instead of killing everybody, he took the king of the Amalekites prisoner. But that's not what God instructed Saul to do. So Samuel, when he's hearing from God, told Saul in 1 Samuel 15.22, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed than, the, than that the fat of rams. Once we hear from God, that is what we need to do. Not to try to justify it or add to it with our own plans. What we think might be a good way to do it. Obedience comes when it's complete submission to God. We talked a little bit about the two men who built their houses in Luke 6. And the only difference was that foundation that they had. But before that, it said, the man who built his house on the rock 
was like the one who hears the things of Jesus and does them. Obedience and Jesus as our foundation are completely related. There used to be a song that we would sing, If he goes to the left, then I go to the left. If he goes to the right, then I go to the right. I'm going to jump, jump. You guys don't want to hear me sing. (laughs) But so anyway, though, but that's exactly the thing. Jesus is our foundation. When he goes to the left, when we go to the left with him, we're standing on Jesus. When he goes to the right, and we're standing on him there, he is our foundation. He's that sure thing that we can stand on. So out of our obedience, we proclaim God's goodness. Because with our obedience, we see his goodness. When we act upon what God instructs us to do, we have unlimited access to his goodness. And we can't help but praise him for who he is. We begin to show his loving kindness to others. We declare his truth, his salvation, his faithfulness. Wednesday nights, it's been a great study with Robert Morris. I encourage you to come out. If you haven't been coming out, hit me up and I can send you the links to the videos we've already seen. But he just breaks things down and puts them in a way you may not think about otherwise. This past week, he was talking about God is 100%. And he's always 100% of any attribute that he has. Even when they seem to contradict themselves. So he was talking about how God is 100% justice and 100% mercy at the same time. Now I'm not going to try to go into all that right now. I encourage you to watch it on your own. But this psalm finishes actually talking about mercy though. And it's a prayer for mercy. And it's so appropriate, too. Continues in verse 11. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and be brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backwards and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. 
God doesn't hang on to what we've done in our past. His desire is to show us mercy, not giving us what we deserve. Because let's face it, we deserve to be punished for what we've done. We deserve to be separated from God because of what we've done. As a nation, we deserve to be punished for what we've allowed, where we've allowed compromise, where we've backed down from what God wants us to be obedient to, where we've allowed the government come in and be people's gods, where they seek for them to be the answer to their problems. Yes, God has called some Christians to go into the political field, but he's also called so many of us to shape a community. He's called us to put our trust in him. He wants us to affect the world around us. Then he can be magnified by his body on this earth. Jesus died so that we could have the victory through him. Victory here on earth, establishing his kingdom here. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you for delivering us from so much, God. Lord, that you've delivered us out of our own pits, out of our own mire, Lord. That you've picked us up and you, you put us on that solid ground. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being that solid footing for us. We thank you that you have have shown yourself that we can stand on you, God. Lord, we pray that you don't hold your mercies back from us at all. Lord, that you your truth will keep us. Lord, that your mercies are new for us all the time. Lord, we accept your timing in everything, God. Lord, we, we wait patiently. But Lord, once we hear from you, we are going to be obedient, God. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful, your wonderfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all the great things that you have done, God. We thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus. Lord, we give you all the glory and the honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.